Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Pints and Perspectives, a podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church, where we believe that there's a plethora of theological perspectives and plenty of beer to go around. Oh, he broke out the laptop. Brother did homework. Oh wait, are you like live? Rec- What's happening right no, now? This is, I just started my laptop up. But I do have my laptop. You look like a professional, like like a, a studio producer with all that garage band stuff going on there. Well, that is my editing software uh, for all the different uh, podcasts that we do. Such as? Pints and Perspectives. Hey, welcome to Pints and Perspectives. Uh, you are back with us for some reason. We must be either entertaining or... Uh, you know, thought provoking, or maybe you're hate watching. Either way, please like and subscribe hey. and share. And you know what? If you are hate watching, I'll take a dislike. I, I'll sure. take it. That's, any, that's any engagement. engagement. Is, I'll it, take cuss it. Cuss us out in the comments. If that's what you feel you need to do, do it. Uh, just don't get upset if I match your energy. Oof. He said he's going to come right back at it. Um. So, Cullen, what are we doing today? Oh, we're drinking beer. What are we drinking today? Always drinking beer. Uh, I am drinking. Ooh. Uh, have you beer. had this? Yes, I have. Okay. I've not. So, uh, I have not drank very many Spindle Tap brews. Okay. Uh, so, Spindle Tap Brewery is a Houston brewery. It's uh, time. Um, it's model or it's like based after a restaurant in the city. Oh, uh, spindle top. That's not, we don't have, do we, is that here? No, that's in another city. That's Are in you San kidding Antonio. me? What spindle top? Nope. Sorry. I don't know. I thought it was an oil reference, like an oil Derrick. Oh, it might be like the place where uh spindle top, but it always has the Houston skyline in the back and oh, spindle tap or spindle top. It, well, oh, but I mean, it is it a oil, is a oil rig. I don't know. Maybe it's a combination of both, or it's so, maybe it's, it's so Texas that we just can't even tell. Yeah, but Spindle Top is definitely in Houston. Okay. We've been there. Okay. All right. Um. Anyways, uh, Spindle Tap is a Houston brewery, and they have a beer called Heavy Hands. Um, oh, I don't know that one. And it's not. Uh, I mean, it kind of tastes like an IPA. But, anyways, um. This is their Hop Gusher IPA. It is. Oh, that's why it has the oil rig, because it's the Hop Gusher. Isn't that there? Okay, maybe. maybe oh, I Gusher, because, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, it's an incredible beer, and Gusher just makes me think of my childhood in the mid-90s. And the Gushers? Yeah. Yes, I have children. Those still exist. They are around my house. Are they good, I though? Love- like, as an adult, you don't oh. think they're still good, right? Oh, certainly. Oh. But I love all that kind of taffy. Yeah, and- chewy, fruity, gummy oh. stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's my kind of candy. I don't, I don't rock with it. Oh, Laffy Taffy's. Saltwater taffy. That laffy taffy. Yeah. Anyways, six point five ABV hop gusher IPA. Uh, I did have one earlier. Oh, cheater! I did. I did. I cheated. Um, uh, well, don't tell it, us what well, you think about it yet. Yeah. I'm having the beer that's named after myself and our friend Sam Adams. <laughs> we were at an event together. Sam will never watch this because she doesn't like this podcast, but uh, we do a lot of like work together in the nonprofit space. And we were at an event uh, this past weekend and uh, this person thought they were hilarious. And they're like, Sam and Adam, ha ha ha, like Sam Adams. Ha, ha. I was like, yeah, like the beer. She was like, no, like the colonial 
uh, famous guy. And I was like, yeah, this is not, it's, it wasn't funny to begin with, Sam Adams. Anyways, I'm still talking about it though, aren't I? Uh, I'm because having, it probably was funny. I was annoyed and insulted. Cold snap white ale by Sam Adams, Samuel Adams, um, a famous brewery in Boston, Massachusetts. They make all sorts of good beers, most probably known for their Boston lager. Um, and so they do a bunch of different seasonal beers. Um, and occasionally they're pretty darn good. This one is the cold snap white ale. It happened to be available on the shelf and I happened to not ever had it before. That's great. But I do, I have had white ales before, um, and I enjoy them. ABV is 5.3%. Okay. So I'm not familiar with that term. What's a white Ale. Yeah, we should have Googled that. It, yeah, I know it has like it. spices in it and stuff. Oh, yeah, look right here. Ale brewed with clementine, infused orange peel, and spices added. Okay, it's what I thought. It's a wit beer. Yeah. And it's a blue moon. Okay. Interesting. 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 Yeah. Uh, a, it says a blue, the blue, blue moon is, is, a, the, is a white elf. Well, it's, it's a, a wit beer. beer. Yeah. It's a wit beer, and it's the most, like, common, um, macroly like, produced, I like, available. I like Blue Moons, I think. It's going to taste very similar. So it says, unfiltered and lively, this crisp white ale gets a kick from a bright blend of smooth spring spices. Yeah. Yeah, you're, it's going to taste a lot like a blue, blue moon. Cheers. Cheers. It's a, um, it's a, it's a blue moon, y'all. <laughs> I told you. It's actually really good. Um, the orange is not as pronounced uh, as as it would be in a blue moon, um, which I kind of like that about blue moons. But yeah. I like the carbonation. It's more, it's more carbonated than a blue moon. Um, the spice is pretty subtle. I, I kind of wanted a little bit more dynamics from the, the spice to kind of malt ratio. But uh, overall, really good. I mean, cold snap, white. It, 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 it's it's like a good winter beer. Yeah. I, I Yeah. I, I, I'd say 5.3 alcohol. That's pretty good, too, for something that's pretty well-balanced, good flavor profile. Wanting to, wanting it to do a little bit more, I'm going to give it a six. There you go. Uh, is Blue Moon better, or is it like the same? Man, that's a great question. I think I'd like to do a side by side, um, but in honor of Tom Brady's retirement, we're gonna say that the Sam Adams is better tonight. Okay, all right. Park the car in the garage. <laughs> Sorry, I've offended our entire Massachusetts audience. I don't know how much we have a Massachusetts audience. Well, well, if we did, I've lost them now because I, <laughs> I, I was a racist and made fun of their accent. I repent. <coughs> um, mine, it. This is what I was gonna say earlier. It has really, really, really citrus forward flavored hops. Yeah. Uh, extremely citrus. Um, I wonder what kind and of like pine is. flavored. Uh, that's a great yeah. Uh yeah, extremely citrus and pine flavored, like a tree, like a like a like a like a Douglas fir. Yeah, mixed uh, grafted in a lemon a Meyer lemon bush. 
Can you do that? Can you can you graft a lemon tree with a pine tree? Probably not, right? Comment below. Is that a thing? Can you get a lemon pine? Can you do a lemon grass? Sorry, I'm just rambling now. I'm, I'm, I'm buying time for you. Oh, appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> what Spindle Tap has to say about it is it's a West Coast IPA. It's got that citra. It has citra and mosaic hops. That's which, a, if you didn't know, mosaic is like the most common hop. Well, it's that West beer. Coast style. It's yeah. that West Coast style. And citra is another very common West Coast uh, style hop. So... All right, H Town doing, um, doing it. So, like in terms of other uh, West Coast IPAs, like where would you say, like is it, mm. is it, is it, uh, like Stone up there, or is it like I don't know what's a bad one? Is there such a thing as a bad IPA or West Coast IPA? Uh, well, I will say this one's not going to get the best score from me. Okay. Uh, it dies real fast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does not carry and hold well. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm in the, I don't know, like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, right? Okay. All right. That's still fair. H-Town, hold it down. Yeah. It dies pretty quickly. You know who also holds it down? <laughs> Satan. Love it. Uh, <laughs> what is Satan holding down? Uh the uh, I guess the eternal torment of conscious souls who failed to uh, ascend intellectually properly to a certain theological set of beliefs. Hold it down, Satan. <laughs> Hold it down. Uh, <clears throat> well, we did the first episode on evil, which when I when we first did this, I thought that this was going to be. An introduction, three parts, a conclusion, five-week series, and we out the dough. He said three points in a poem. That's right. Uh, boy, was I wrong. It has certainly not you, been that. You hyperfixated and nerded out, didn't you? You got, uh, you got something to say tonight? I certainly do. <laughs> uh, we are going to continue the evil conversation, and each of these parts, the evil or the Satan part, the God perspective – the Satan perspective, the God perspective, and the human perspective on the problem of evil. Each of them is going to have multiple weeks in the series. So I don't know how many weeks it's going to be yet because it just depends on what I think it takes to. And you have to listen to every single one because if you don't, we'll be deeply offended and you'll miss uh, really witty comments from myself. Of course, of course. So the reason I was saying all of that <coughs> is because today we're going to talk about Satan. Because last week, the intention was to do one week on evil. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't ever even get to the embodiment of evil in the story. Okay. Which is Satan. So we can't... Hasatan. Yeah, we can't move on. So we're going to talk about Satan, and we'll see where we go from here. But <clears throat> first, let's talk about Hasatan. What we... Well, first, let me offer, offer clarification. We've already had a similar conversation to the one that we're about to have. Yes. In the Afterlife series that we did when oh, we yeah. talked about Satan and evil. We did have a Satan conversation. Um, and so we'll reference some of the things we talked about there, and you can go back and find that one uh, as well. Okay, so you said it out of the gate. 
Hasatan. Mm-hmm, what mm-hmm, is that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The adversary. Oh, uh, also the accuser. Between the two of us, Hasatan is a Hebrew word, and Adam is the Hebrew scholar at the table. Yeah. I don't even remember my Hebrew alphabet. Ooh. Aleph, Bet, Kimmel, Dalit, Hey, Vav, Zion, Het. Okay, I will do the whole Look thing. Look at I'll you. Spare you. I'll spare you. No, I can't even remember the alphabet. Yeah, the um, the 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 adversary, right? I think that's what it translates to. I, I yeah. also haven't practiced my Hebrew in a minute. A hot minute. Um, yeah. Well, I practice my Greek pretty regularly. Oh, <clears throat> but Nerd. and well, and we'll talk about Greek here in a minute sure. because sure. we'll talk about the development of this character in the new testament but hasatan is a hebrew word and chronologically the first time we ever get it would be the book of job right uh so it's a hebrew word and it means adversary yep that's not really a term that we use anymore um the only place i can think about using that in modern language is ironically in bankruptcy court oh well we use it too like adversarial parties are the parties that come into the case that yeah yeah. i guess so yeah so So, yeah it's a legal term yeah that's the only time i ever use it Yeah. yeah i can't think of a way that we use it outside of you know, the justice system. Well, or like maybe like militarily, right? Like the, the, like the Pentagon probably has some documents using the term adversary. Maybe I think, but wouldn't they just more so, well, I don't know another, I heard another person use the word foe. Foe. Okay. So uh, like, but that's still like an enemy, an enemy, like a, a, a an opposer. Yeah. If you were going to script it out in story talk, we would call it the antagonist. Yeah. Right. Um, And Agnes. But in isolated incidences, and the reason I bring this up is because anytime you're reading your Hebrew Bible and you see ha-satan, I want to break that down for you. Satan is adversary. Ha is the definite article. Mm -hmm. The. The. It's a title. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, it's not a person. It's a title of an office. And it's also just commonly used as the person I'm in opposition to. Eight times in the Hebrew Bible, Hasatan is used just in a general, like opposing party. No reference to any kind of spiritual force at all. Yeah, some like uh, 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 like very powerful individual disembodied spirit. Yeah, well, like a couple of times it's used just to refer to the opposing king in a war battle. Oh, yeah, same military. Like, yeah, yeah, it's just the adversary. Like, it's my opponent. Right, right. The person I'm trying to conquer. Right. Um, or defeat or win over, you know, whatever might be victory for the said situation, they are the obstacle to getting to victory. So you first see this person in Job. Adam, do you want to remind us? It it comes in the first twice in the first two chapters of Job. And Mm. then you never hear about the character again. Well, at the the beginning, right at the very beginning where one and two, um, 
the the first like courtrooms like right the uh, ha- uh Hasatan approaches yeah there's a Adonai I don't know yeah. what name is used for God there um well there yeah so what happens is God is in the throne room and the text says right. there's a meeting of the angels okay yeah 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 and Hasatan is among them Oh, okay. 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 So you automatically get this kind of inclusive language okay. that like this is the heavenly realm and the setup of the story really seems to be like it's ro- like it's daily roll call. Okay. It's like it's all like the court. angel what's well, like, like everybody like medieval court like ancient court. No. Well, so it, yeah, it ends up being an ancient courtroom in yeah. the way it plays out. But the first thing the way that I can only think about it is like in all the cop movies that you watch, everybody at the start of their fist that at the start of their shift has to show up for roll call. Okay. Okay. To get their daily assignments or any updates or whatever that like, that's how this story gets introduced. And then it very quickly moves to God engaging Hasatan, this office which is clearly on god's payroll Mm. as some people have said like this is clearly an arm of the court if we're going to use legal terms yeah same team yeah it's like it's like the judge and the prosecutor Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's like it's or you know for family court which may be more approachable for people an amicus attorney acts as an arm of the court it's like an extension of the courtroom they don't represent anyone except the best interest of the children so like this office seems to be some kind of arm of the court like an extension of the throne room and so God begins to engage this office and they have a conversation and God says, have you considered my servant Job? Mm-hmm. So the first thing you get about this is that this is some kind of tempter or tester. Yeah, It's like maybe you might say, I heard someone call it the auditor of moral values and righteousness. Interesting. Okay. And it's like it they are an arm of God. And that's why God engages them. God directs them to Job and they respond. Huh. The first thing they say is, "Well, have you not put a hedge of protection around him?" Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, "Okay. Well, that means that God controls in a way that this person, this office does not." Okay. That God has supremacy over this office. More authority, more power, more, yeah, okay. And they're on God's payroll, and God sets the terms two different times, and then that character disappears off the face of the earth. Never hear about that character again. So all the things that happened to Job throughout the course of that narrative, um, it it isn't explicitly stated that that those things that are happening to him, like losing his family and his house falls in and his livestock dies off and he gets sores and he ends up on a garbage heap. And I can't even remember all the things. So th- those things that he experiences, are they attributed to Hasatan or to God or to him, his own action? Like who's responsible for the bad things that are happening? Because at the beginning of the story, God says, hey, do it to Job or, or you know, consider Job. Have you considered my but, son Job? But you're saying that, like, the character, Hasatan, uh, disappears from the story. 
So who? Well, yeah, God, like after those chapters, <clears throat> he's never talked, that office has never talked about again. And it does appear to be some kind of like distancing of the damage from God. Okay. But it also sets the standard or it also sets a tone that says, hey, like the morality of a person, the belief of a person, the faithfulness of a person matters. And God has some kind of dedicated process to monitoring that, which is why lots of times when you do something, you go, oh, it was a test or, oh, you know, whatever. Isn't that interesting that, like, the con the theological concept of, like, God needs to test faithfulness? Is that what we're talking about here? Well, okay, we're not. We're not. We're just talking about the the character Satan. Okay, sorry, go ahead. Uh, we should write that down. We, <laughs> should go, we should have a series just on that. Uh, well, fortunately, we, we've got multiple records <clears throat> here. So. The reason I bring up the testing or tempter thing is because that that is the only piece of this Satan character which ends up becoming the embodiment of evil. Uh-huh. That remit that rings true throughout. Like it's the only consistent piece. Okay. Nothing else because this person at this point is not an adversary of God. They're an arm of God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They work for God. More, They're all God's more an adversary to humanity. It would appear that way, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are the one that's going out and saying, "Hey, humans, are you good enough?" Interesting. Now, okay. Another big story that we should talk about. You think that's evil? Well, no. So, so we wouldn't say that the that um, I, the it's character suffering. because Job endures suffering, and if you remember, we linked evil and suffering together. Yes, yes. but I will argue when we get to the God side that they are different. Okay, because Jesus suffers. Um. So, but no. So he suffers. But the tempter is the one that's making his suffering even possible. Yep. Okay. We should also... Okay, so that's the first chronological time you ever get it used. Okay. Hasatan is then used several other times throughout, you know, the Hebrew Bible, as we talked about, just to refer to a general opponent. But other than... That Hasatan is not used in any kind of real, like, embodiment of evil way until the New Testament. Okay. And then that term's not used anymore. Well, and Hasatan's not used anymore. That's they what I'm saying. replace it with Diablos. Right. Which is devil. The devil. Um, but I oh, heard yeah. somebody make an argument that even in Mark's gospel, you could argue that the Diablos is still acting in the Job realm because they have submission to God. And so it. Hmm. what happens is, this character is entirely made up. 
one hundred percent made up. Which character? Which Hasatan? Okay, okay, yeah. Entirely a made up character in which people have tried to piece together evil. Because taking little pieces from this text and little pieces from this yeah. text and this so, idea, yeah. Let me give you an example. Adam, is Satan the serpent in Genesis 3? Uh, I have so many answers to that question, but um, yes. Only because you've read Revelation. Yeah, so I, so the answer to that question is, uh, because culturally, yes, but like textually, no. Um, In Genesis, the answer is vehemently no. It's, it's, yeah, the serpent. It's just the serpent, and it walks upright. It's this cunning kind of sly but handsome creature as T-Rex. the text. Yeah, it, T-Rex. as the text kind of shares it. But because Revelation calls yeah. evil the original serpent or maybe better translate it the serpent of old yeah and ties it back to revelation 3 yeah. i mean genesis 3 everybody says oh yeah absolutely that's satan but nobody until the book of revelation the letters to the seven churches thought that yeah, because you kind of have to build a whole theological system for what or who I should say the devil is, right? And like, like early, early <sighs> Hebrews didn't have modern theological constructions of like a good and a bad. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe, but not like we do today. Like, again, I know on this podcast we've talked about, like, John Milton, where that's really where we start getting these ideas of Satan and demons. But, like, even, like, Dante, um, we've gone through hell in different books, right? I think we did that. Anyway, We did. We did. A whole series on eschatology. But, like, in each one, but what I'm saying, like, in the ancient world and these, uh, these authors, like the author of Revelation, John on Patmos, like, what was his theological construction of an evil like demigod like like deity but not really a deity like an angel i guess like was he i think if you i think if you asked john of patmos which i don't think is any way connected to the author of the gospel of john right um if you ask that person john the elder as they're called in revelation uh i think he would tell you that the embodiment of evil is nero yeah, so like um like a modern man if like for him modern for him like contemporary a contemporary he looks around at his at his at his cultural setting and his social setting and he sees the embodiment of this idea the theological idea of not god. Well, no, just read the damn book. 666 the mark mm-hmm. of the beast mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is Nero. Yeah. Like, that's what it comes out to in numerology. Yeah. Like, I just, it's just Nero. Like, so, so, but what about, what about, um, never mind. (laughs) I should get a Bible out. So, Satan, this character, has multiple kind of origin stories. Yeah, that's a good one. Like, like the Santa Claus 
uh, yes. story. Yeah. So, well, okay. Maybe before I give you Satan's origin stories, I should say that this character evolves into what it is right. for the same the same issue that we're trying to resolve right now. To which answer is, the problem of evil. They are trying to distance God from evil. Okay. Okay. That's why. And you it's most clearly seen in the Old Testament. And I'm not I'm not gonna read all of them, but this is why I have my computer in front of me. There are six or seven places where or maybe not that many. There are six or seven other places where Hasatan is used. And a majority of those places <coughs> are in Chronicles. Ah. First and second Chronicles. And why is that important? Because Satan, the character, really develops in the post-exilic era. Okay. Post-exile. I mean, it was all going somewhere. Okay, okay. You're teaching me now. Okay. Yeah. Hasatan is really used in First and Second Chronicles, which is a history of Israel. You might say that it is a self-contained version of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a chronicle. It's a chronicle, and it's written from the priestly perspective, mm-hmm. and um, it's a retelling. Mm-hmm. of 1st, 2nd Samuel, and 1st, 2nd Kings, right. which are also histories of Israel. And what happens is in 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings, you have this language where a few times when something bad happens, it, it will say something along the lines of an evil spirit of the Lord. Ooh, of the attributing cause of the evil or some variation of that because they're not always exactly that but some some version of causation of an evil spirit attributed to god yahweh adonai okay first and second chronicles post exile comes around and goes nope don't like that we're going to replace it with Hasatan. Interesting. Same stories replaces it with Hasatan. It's about two or three times. Okay. Because there is a theological conundrum of the problem of evil. Yep. And either God is the creator and author and source of, or there is some other source, perhaps some other deity of uh, like or semi deity or whatever an angel is. Yeah. So causes or like origins of this character. I think there are like three, maybe four uh, kind of mainstream ones. I can only remember two off the top of my head. Maybe I'll try to scroll when I get you talking and see if I can find the third one. <coughs> but, uh, The first one actually comes from Genesis, the first like five verses of Genesis 6, and it's tied to the Nephilim. So Genesis 6, 1 through 4, 1 through 6, somewhere around there, before the Noah story, you get this weird passage. It's like a one-off that tries to explain the existence of giants in the world. Like that's literally what it's trying to do. Like it it makes a point to note that they're large people. (laughs) Um, but 
Interesting. The way it frames it is it says that the angels of God or the sons of God, which we could carry throughout. I mean, you know, Jesus calls us the sons of God in John 10. Uh, so it, it, it's like a common thing, but it, it, it is an angelic reference. The sons of God, or a deified reference, maybe is a better way to say it. Um, a reference to divinity, deity in mm-hmm. some way. Uh, noticed that the daughters of God, or the daughters of man, were beautiful and so yeah, they, they are. came down and slept with them and created giants. You think they got consent first? No. Oof. So they raped them is uh-huh. what you mean to say. Yeah. Yeah. So God. Okay, go ahead. Proceed. It, appear, it appears that they raped them. Yeah. That's how it looks. And they made uh, like semi-demigod babies called the, yeah. the Nephilim. Demigod. That's exactly how you should think about them. And why half did, man, half God, and that's why they're so large. And why did they come down to earth to rape the ladies? Because they, they were beautiful. Because they're pretty. Sounds like David. And they are. Sounds like David and Bathsheba. Am I right? Uh, it does. Mm. It does. So that's one explanation for the origin of Satan. Like he's he's the one that leads that charge and becomes the leader and that's Satan. Oh, he would be one of those angels that is having sex that's with humans. Their, yeah, in the origin story, that's their rebellion. Dang, Incubus was just in town too. So the other origin go. story is the one that we all know or the one that kind of everybody thinks is the origin of Satan which is those two strange references in Isaiah and Ezekiel to the falling stars, which we all know are references to the king of Babylon. Uh, or but a third, a third of the angels are yeah, uh, fall. And the, yeah, they're fall. The Lucifer. Oh, that's the third one. The Lucifer thing. Oh, okay. Uh, that he's the bearer of light. God's of second light. hand. Yeah. Uh, or you have the you know the full on rebellion because he's angry at God for making humans. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. But once again, all of those, if we're being honest, are really theologies made up off one off verses. Which, if you've hung around this podcast very long, I'm really against creating theologies off of one off verses. Yeah, and like people continue to write volumes on volumes. Satan. One was just released like two months ago. Yeah, man. It is a little wild, but so much of theology is that way. You take one small passage and create this huge system of thought and practice. Yep. Um, so what do we do with that? Is I mean, is there a Satan? Well, I do think that... it. It rings true that there's always an embodiment of evil. Okay. And in okay, an embodiment of evil. So the problem of evil though deals with the source of evil. So is the embodiment of evil and the source of evil the same? Do we or do you would you equate those two? And let's just stick with Satan. So like if there is so if we have a trinita- a traditional orthodox trinitarian view of God. And we have a traditional orthodox view of 
Satan and hell, um, which I know traditional view is uh, I'm uh, th- there's multiple. Yeah. Um, wh- do like what do we do? Who's the source of evil? Then is it Satan? Is it humans? I think it's hard to know because this is why I said in last week when we were talking about Genesis, this is why I said the story is always told beholden to the teller. Mm -hmm. Why are we going to have a story that gives us a lot of details about the adversary other than that they are causing problems? Sure. It doesn't make sense. We barely get much detail about the origins of our own side of the story, much less theirs. I don't think there's really any way to know, but I do think it's true that there is some kind of, I think the story tells us, I think that's the beauty of like the apocalyptic literature is to remind us that God is fighting a war. Mm -hmm. There's a war over, goodness existing in the world what do you do with ephesians 6 and the armor of god oh i think that's paul oh go ahead ask me your question well and like so there's a war yeah against evil which might be god versus satan yeah perhaps uh angels good angels versus demons bad angels um what's the what's our role what role do we play in that war and it are it are there flaming arrows of the enemy coming at us that we need our shield of faith to extinguish? Sure. And is that all just figurative? And to what degree do we take that seriously? So I want to talk more about this on the human perspective. Okay. Sure. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we get there, that because that really seems to be Paul's kind of idea when he's communicating is okay. that this is for us. Um, so we'll talk more about this then, but my short answer to your question is we are fighting a war that is metaphorical. Okay. And our role is we are the servants of God for goodness. Yeah. Righteousness. Yeah. So we want to channel the source of goodness to defeat the source of evil which mark 8 through 10 and the story of jesus would tell us sometimes and maybe more often than not is through suffering why do you think the authors of first uh, and second chronicles uh, needed to distance god from uh, evil occurrences in the history of israel well, what do you think it was like being in exile in Babylon as slaves for 40 years? So you had to like th- like like intellectually justify that your God is good because you oh, the only thing you're experiencing is suffering? You got to kind of hype yourself up. Well, no, up I think Jeremiah told them that God said this was punishment for your idolatry. I think Jeremiah has made that very clear. So so the raping and pillaging of God's people was God's God was the source of that. Not Satan. Satan isn't the reason why they went into Babylonian exile. No. Well, what what they what the authors of First and Second Chronicles might say is, well, Satan is the author in the way that he tempted them away from. Oh God. yes, they 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 hoard with other gods or something. Yeah. 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 
So Some, it's yeah. interesting. It seems like a tangled web of everybody's responsible. And that's why I said at the beginning of this episode, <coughs> the only real consistent piece of Satan, the character, mm. is tempting and testing. That's really it. All, like, that's the only piece you can take away and tie to every instance in which that Okay, last driving. question. Last question, because we're okay. up against it on time. Tempting and testing. Which I think you've made a good point there. Like that's the consistent yep. um, characteristics of that character throughout the story. So testing and tempting, uh, are do you equate those things with evil? Is being tested, is being tempted evil? Is that is that a part of the problem of evil for you? Well, no, because if it was, then I would have to say that Jesus is evil because we remember in, in all the gospel stories that record Jesus' baptism, which is three of the four, everyone that references Jesus' baptism says that immediately after the baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tested or tempted by the devil. Mm. So if tempted or testing but, but, is evil then jesus succumbs to evil but what i think tempting and testing is, is well he didn't give into it though to do evil but, 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 but he harm. didn't give into the testing and tempting so he wouldn't be evil right but your question was is tempting and testing evil no oh, tempting oh, and oh, testing oh. is tempting and testing you to do oh evil. wait so the evil only occurs when you give when in? you give in which is eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge so of evil humans succumb so humans are the source <clears throat> humans are responsible for their own evil choices that not oh. satan's not responsible for that well, Satan's responsible for test for tempting them, for drawing them away. Uh -huh. But it but what I need you to think about this as is like everybody started out like the Genesis story told you that everybody started out just like you do in school. Everybody starts with a hundred. Okay. You gotta screw it up to go down. You gotta get tested though. And when you get tested, how well you've prepared yourself mm. dictates the determination of your score. You got to keep that oil in your lamp because the bridegroom's coming at an unknown hour and you and don't want to be without oil. The man and the woman did not. Oh. They did not do it well. Oh. Uh, and so they succumbed. Well, not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.